Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop with you. It's always a much-anticipated test series when Australia plays South Africa, particularly this time given it's the first time they've played since the infamous Sandpaper Gate in South Africa. Jared Waitley will once again head up the commentary team for SEN. He's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Jared. Jules, hello. Does this almost feel like, no disrespect to the West Indies, but does this almost feel like the start of the test summer? It's going to be hot. It's at the Gabba. It's a great rival. Does it sort of feel that way to you? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm. I think you've been very polite. I think there's every reason to have disrespect for what just happened. That they were they were appetised at Test matches, and there's an obligation to play the West Indies, and there's the hope that they might be better in the future. But that wasn't. Uh, that's not the the Test cricket that captivates us across the summer here. Uh, and you're right. Is the setup of the Gabba is the traditional starting point. The weather is excellent. The rival is fierce. As this is the best performed nation on these shores. Uh, in recent in the recent generation, South Africa have a great record here. They represent a clear threat and challenge in the way that the West Indies didn't on paper and and certainly didn't in practice. Both teams, you know, embarrassed themselves really with their behaviour four years ago. Surely we don't see any of that stuff this time. Surely the line is not crossed when it comes to the verbals, given what happened four years ago. No, I think that's true because um, there was a long lead up to what happens with sandpaper. Uh, I was there for the first two test matches um, and at the, the climax of the first is there was the bust up in the stairway uh, that Warner was the centrepiece of and uh, the dropping of the ball and A.B. de Villiers' head by Nathan Lyon after a run out uh, and then it deteriorated further and Rabada chested Steve Smith. But I think the, the key figures from a South African perspective are gone is Faf Duplessis was uh, the centrepiece of all of that. He His character defined the combative nature of their team. A.B. de Villiers was their, their absolute star. So the Australian team might, um, might look the same, but uh, they are vastly changed, as we all understand, as a result of those events. But I do think the South African team is, is radically changed as well. Just looking at this South African team, they look very strong with the ball. Obviously, Rabada leads their attack as a is a fantastic player. Are you concerned about their batting lineup, particularly in Australian conditions against this very good attack that we've got? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the, the natural scouting point for this. And I went back and watched the highlights of the test matches that they played earlier this year in England. And they, they thrashed England in the first test when they were able to bowl them out for 165 and 149. And then they made 326. But from there, their batting couldn't hold up its end of the bargain and they suffered two heavy defeats. So Dean Elgar, we know, is, is the he would be the most pugnacious, gritty, open mm. batter that there is. Uh, and then there's a, there is a golf in, in class beyond that. So early we'll open with him. And we know that Markram's been left at home. Von Dusen's got to do it on Australian soil. So, yeah, is there, they, are, they look short-suited on the batting front. But it's those, it's those four bowlers, Rabada, Ngidi, Janssen and Norkia. Uh, they will need to do all the damage. 
So South Africa's hope is is a low-scoring series. I suspect where they're able to keep Australia south of 280 and then see what they can uh, conjure themselves. But if Australia um, is able to blunt that attack and score the runs that that they probably really should on these shores and get north of 300, then I think they'll be fearsomely hard to beat. If they get a few early wickets with the Australians, the fact that Cam Green didn't spend much time at the crease, Alex Carey didn't spend much time at the crease against the West Indies, is is that a an area of opportunity for South Africa in this series, particularly in this first yeah. test? Yeah, so the new ball will be everything, I think, for South Africa. And they have to get so they have to get through the opening partnership, which they'll fancy, given Warner's form coming in. But then they've got to get through Smith and Labuschagne. And keep in mind that Head is the player of the series from the Ashes and the player of the match from the previous test match. So three, four and five is the bulk of Australia's runs, I think. But if they are able to take three wickets with the new ball each time, then it does put immense pressure on. Uh, we're waiting for Cam Green, I think, to have the opportunity to play that innings that might define him. Uh, so maybe that comes in that series. Maybe it doesn't. And then Carey's the keeper. And, and we know with the keepers is um, that's, that's sort of creative run scoring rather than necessarily dependable run scoring. So, yeah, the bulk of Australia's runs will be scored through... Labuschagne, Smith and Head. And if South Africa can get through at least two of them and through a couple of them with the new ball, then, then they'll fancy they're right in it. Speaking to Jared Waitley, he'll head up the commentary team, the SEN Test Cricket commentary team. First test, Australia versus South Africa, starting at the Gabba tomorrow. We know there's been so much talk about David Warner this summer and particularly going into this series about his form. His teammates are saying all the right things. His coach is saying all the right things. He's in good nick. A big score's not too far away, but... In reality, is he is he out of form or is he just getting himself out when he shouldn't be? What's the sort of analysis oh, no. of, of the nick he's in? Yeah, no, I think if, if you're averaging low 20s across the calendar year, you're, you're not in form. So uh, you can have whatever lot you like out of the net. Um, Australia is doing the exact right thing. You do not... You do not invite any doubt around one of the champions in your lineup as he gets to a defining summer individually and collectively. If he can't make a run, that's going to put Australia under immense pressure and it will hasten the end of his career. So you don't invite any sort of doubt whatsoever. Uh, and I think Andrew McDonald was, was resolute in that. And But the player I really enjoyed listening to was Kawaja, who wouldn't allow anybody else to be picked other than Warner, which is a great position to be in. And they, they walk out together for combat at the start of each innings and they have to have absolute trust in each other. Warner will play this series no matter what. He will play these three test matches. You have to... I think people are ignoring the overall circumstances. Mm. His 100th test, which is yep. the great milestone in Australian cricket, that is on Boxing Day. And his final test on home soil is going to be Sydney by his own timeline. Uh, that's his home ground. He's not getting dropped for these two test matches. So the questions are about whether he goes to India and England, not about whether he finishes this summer. I think they're doing it absolutely the right way. And I think there's a scenario in which Warner triumphs and bows out on a high rather than gets run out at the end of a pitchfork. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting point. I guess the other thing is, too, looking at it, from a wider perspective, we haven't really got anyone banging the door down to replace him as opener, have we? Well, so the, the squad is really clear as Marcus mm. Harris is the next batter in. So whichever position opens up, and this is a, a setup that is proving it, it, it's true to its pecking order. Boland plays ahead of Nisa, so there's no thought around home ground advantage. That's the pecking order. 
Um, Morris didn't play in Adelaide when it would have been hugely exciting because there is a pecking order. So Harris is the next batter in, no matter what position opens up. And the fact that he's an opener means if something went awry with either Warner or Kawaja, he's going to play. The creative solutions are for India and England, where I think quite rightly was Renshaw's being measured up as a future prospect there. But yeah, is, is Australia better off with Harris than Warner at the top of the order in the next three tests? Well, no, their records will say no. So that, I think that there should be, I get that Warner's a divisive figure, but the, the national craving should be that he scores runs plenty of them, leads Australia in this series and then gets to choose what to do on his own terms. That's not the craving, though, is it, Jared? Because he's a divisive figure, it feels. Yeah. That, that comes into it. Yeah, and that's, he doesn't have a universal place in the nation's affection because of all that's happened. And even when he got completely done over by the, the process around what was happening off-field, uh, he doesn't garner a whole lot of sympathy, even when he should. So, yeah, that, that's his lot. But I would like to hope that the revolutionary figure that he has been in Test cricket, not just for Australia, but internationally, I would like to hope that, that gets honoured properly in Melbourne on such an occasion where he's playing his 100th Test. And hopefully he's able to uh, live in that glow by actually scoring some runs out in the middle and making it something memorable for him. You confident he will turn his form around in this series? His record against South Africa is pretty good. Or have you got a fear that uh, maybe this is a trough he just can't get out of? Oh No, no I, I have a feeling that this is what the end looks like um, when you're 36 and when you've played 98 test matches and when the bowling is up in the 150s. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't hold a great deal of confidence that he's suddenly going to have a a renaissance right at the end. Um, I hope he does. And Usman Khawaja will say that that is, that is certainly possible. He's doing it. But no, I think, I think what we can see is, is sort of inevitable, really. This is, this is how it happens at the end of a career. And I think a player has an obligation to look after himself at that point. But that's not to say when you've played your whole career in that battle mode, that's hard to fold. So his competitiveness will absolutely be there. It's just a question of whether his reactions and his, his eyesight and his movement uh, can be restored to a point to blunt this attack. There's nothing that the West Indies had that was mm. anything like this. They didn't have one bowler that would have made this South African side the way Elzari Joseph bowled. Um, these four quicks are so much better, and, and he was troubled by what happened with the West Indies. Is there enough variety in this South African attack? I mean, we mentioned they got four good quicks, but you need pretty good variety in Australia. Have they got that? Uh, they have raw pace. So raw pace in Australia is a pretty good formula. Uh, and the fact that they back up and back up and back up. And, and Rabada and, and Gidi aren't the same bowler. Uh, and I quite like watching Janssen from the highlights we saw from the, the, C11, uh, the CA11 match. So... I guess there's an element of let's see. We know Rabada's a talisman at the front of the attack. His strike rate is awesome. He has performed all around the world. Uh, and, yeah, I think, I think in Australia, I would take raw pace over variety. Uh, now, that might, be a, that might be proven a folly over the next three weeks, but I like the fact that they, the three of them clock in around the 150s. You mentioned, Jared, the pecking order in the Australian team. It's pretty straightforward. As you said, Boland keeps his spot. They didn't go for Nisa and the home ground advantage. And 
But the pecking order has been Josh Hazelwood is in the best 11 and he's in this Australian tack. What happens if Scott Boland has another really good game here at the Gabba and Josh is available for Boxing Day? What, what do yeah, they I do? Think, I think Boland definitely plays at the MCG. But that's why he was picked in the first place because that's his track. Um, and I know the MCG has been a little bit different in the past couple of years, but there is the suggestion that they're just going to back off that a little bit. And if they do, then you need a you need the workhorse. And as well as being a, a, a wicket taker, which has been so wonderful, is he's an absolute workhorse who doesn't go for runs. So I think there's an element of once you're in, if you keep performing, you become difficult to displace. But there's I just feel like Jules... Unless unless Boland suddenly lost all form and got <laughs> tapped all around the Gabba, there's there's no way he misses at the MCG. No way. Not not given that he was the defining figure of the last Boxing Day test. So you wouldn't do it to yourself, and you also wouldn't do it to your public um, with the, the sense of occasion and the, the Victorian link on the ground. And we could go on forever because you get to have a good game at Boxing Day and then Josh Hazelwood's fit for Sydney. Uh, what do they do? Yeah, but, that's uh, a different conversation is it, because Hazelwood's home ground yeah. in Sydney and at that stage, Boland's played three. It's just it's inconceivable Boland doesn't play at the MCG. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good problem for the Aussies to have. Their depth in the fast bowling stakes is amazing. Uh, just, just one before I let you go, Jared, and if you haven't had time to, to take it all in, I, I understand. But Darren Weir had his day in court Yesterday, um, they've made their decision. There, we know he's trying to get to try and get his license back early next year. Have you got a read on on where that sits after he was in court yesterday? Um, I've spoken to some people, but probably not quite enough tools. Yep. Um, it's a it's really challenging, I think, for racing to have a a figure who's uh, now the wording of this is really interesting, and I think you probably have to read judgments at the time and the judgment from yesterday, but. Um, there's a so it, there's a guilty verdict around animal cruelty, correct? Correct. Yeah, I think that's extremely challenging to have that figure in the short term walk back into racing as a licensed trainer. Now, at the time, there was a penalty imposed with a finite period of four years. So, how you know there is that element of. Um, once you you serve the time that's prescribed, and that penalty could have been anything at the time, they chose four years. Once he gets to the end of four years, does he have a right to walk back into the sport? I think that's hugely challenging with the racing public. No, no, let me rephrase that. That's hugely challenging with the sporting public. Mm. Uh, I take it the racing industry, at least in some quarters, believes that there is clearly a path back and he'll be really well supported. I think that's going to be really difficult to explain to a sporting public who looks in with reservations around fatality rates in Melbourne Cups in recent times and all of the messaging out of Racing Victoria has been around animal welfare and, and vet checks and scans. Uh, if you either saw that video or read about mm. the video of horses yeah. being um, a, you know, a jabbed with a jigger and whacked with a, a piping... Um, if that if that person is back as a significant figure in mm. racing, that's going to be really difficult to explain in the short term. And wasn't the original charges from the racing authorities just based on possession of jiggers and not the use of jiggers, and therefore some freshly laid charges can be laid? I, I would doubt that that's the case. Um, I think there was the, always the implication that... Oh, I think racing authorities knew that these videos existed. Now, exactly what they prosecuted on the, that long night where they worked towards an outcome, 
Um, I would have to go back and read the detail in that. I wouldn't think there's anything that's happened that would lead to the renewal of charges, but it's clearly an impediment to a path back. Um, is the granting of a licence subjective? Well, that's an interesting debate in its own right. There is a level of approval that's required. Do racing authorities have the right to deny a figure who served four years the capacity to return if he applies? Again, really good question, and for those in charge to debate at length. But um, racing, uh, they talk about the social licence. This would be a big mm. issue, I think, trying to explain to the sporting public on that under the, under the guise of the social licence. And just one more on the cricket before I let you go. We all had favourite players uh, from opposition teams growing up. Jaunty Rhodes would be pretty high on the list. Hey, You're yeah, working with Jaunty. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's it's so I I love who we get to work with on a cricket front, and I think we used to have a joke that for a while we were in the same WhatsApp group as Wazzy Macram, so we sort of all thought there was a reflected coolness in that. Um, <laughs> that is Mike cool. Atherton, yeah, yeah, Mike Atherton last summer, uh, Ian Bishop, Jonty Rhodes is he's a wonderful figure from our cricket imagination. I think one of the great fielders that we ever saw here, and just such a likable cricketer. So I, I don't know him. Um, and I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward both to getting to know him and then introducing everyone to him over the, over the next three test matches. So, yeah, we're, we're thrilled that he's part of it and, um, and can't wait to mine some of his old stories as well as get his analysis on what happens in front of us. If it's like he played, I'm sure he'll bounce into the commentary box and be uh, full of yeah, energy. Yeah. Uh, Jared, uh, thanks again for your time. We can't wait uh, for Ball 1 Australia versus South Africa at the Gabba tomorrow. Terrific, Jules. Good man.